Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right, coming from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio stations. We have a great program for you today. But before we get started, Afghanistan, that's all we're hearing about. Afghanistan, Afghanistan, we have to protect all those people who worked alongside America. That is true. We have to make sure that these people are not hurt. They worked with America. That's true. But you know what? The news media is covering all these issues in Afghanistan ad nauseum. And they should. But on those days that Afghanistan is not the center of attraction, when Afghanistan is not out there where it's just in your face, what happens to the coverage? Of more than 50% of Americans that are in dire straits, what happens to Americans that are dying because they're lacking health care? What happened to presenting those stories of pain? We shouldn't have been in Afghanistan in the first place. We know that. We know that it's a military-industrial complex coup. Where is the coverage of the entirety of that which affects America. That is my rant of the day. But we're still going to continue talking about Afghanistan and more. Anyhow, the title of today's show, Afghanistan, the proper context. Likewise, no January 6th revisionist history and killer on COVID, schools and funding. Sensible general blast talking heads and media generals advising extended Afghanistan stay. General Barry McCaffrey did not pull any punches as he castigated supposedly competent ex-military officials who are advising an extended stay in Afghanistan. And we can understand why there should be no extended stay just starting from a few minutes ago when there was some sort of an explosion outside of the gates of the airport. It tells you why it is time to get the you-know-what out. O'Donnell slams Afghanistan coverage advised by media paid generals who themselves lost wars. MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell gave an adult assessment of the Afghanistan withdrawal, unlike the deluge of doom promoted by the media and their paid generals. You've got to listen to that segment as well. It is he nails it on the head with those cuts that we put out there. How to stop Trump allies from their successful January 6th rewrite and creating many false realities? 
This current January 6th NBC poll illustrates how effective the right-wing misinformation is. The left must step up their game, and they must step it up quickly. And lastly, we have a very good, potent conversation with the one and only Cedric Keeler on COVID, school openings, and the dispersal of dollars. Cedric visited with us to discuss COVID and the opening of schools. He's an adamant amount, uh, how rather, he is adamant about how poorly local governments are allocating the funds. The federal government already sent their way. We cover several other topics in this very important interview. But folks, please do remember that we are in fun drive mode and we need you in order to keep this station alive. We cannot do it without you. So we have a great show for you, a full show, but we need you. So we ask you to please call 713-526-5738, 713-526-5738, or go to kpft.org to make your offer to support us. My offers for this show right now is one one of my three books, as I see it, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom for a $120 donation. It's worth it. How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. That's another $120 donation. Or How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. And that is for a contribution as well of $120. Get two books, contribution of $200. You save quite a bit there. Or get three books for a contribution of $250. Folks, you can also select many different options to provide for anywhere from $25, $40, or whatever to just help this station stay afloat because we need a community radio station that is there to tell you the truth, not just the fixed information that's given to you by those who can afford to pay for the commercials to ensure that you get Snowed. Anyhow, you can get politics done right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willies at E G B E R T O W I L L I E S. Before we get started, please remember to keep your community radio station KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends to tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen at kpft.org. kpft.org. Talk about it. Look, help us keep that 100,000 watt station that covers the entire Southeast Texas on air and help us get the backup generator by donating what you can afford to our website at kpft.org. Folks, we cannot do this without you. This is your station. It's in your honor. Make sure that we can have a station, an independent public station run by the community right here in Houston, Texas, that covers the entire Southeast and get programs like what you're getting right here, Politics Done Right. Folks, uh, we have several offers again, so please give us a call, 713-526-5738. At last, at last, a general has come out and made it clear that all those talking heads and paid general know nothing of what they speaketh Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. 
that strikes me that if you consider the political constraints that President Biden has imposed on himself, his core belief that it's wrong to send service members into a potentially deadly situation that doesn't enhance core U.S. security, and then you've got the Taliban's overwhelming leverage in Afghanistan right now, the president really had no other option but to stick to his initial self-imposed deadline. Yeah, that's right, Jeff. And I think one of the most interesting exercises as we've been covering this crisis over the last two weeks has been for me to go back and look at my own notes uh, in covering President and before that Vice President Biden over the years on this particular issue. And in fact, the last time I traveled overseas with Vice President Biden in 2016, it was to Iraq. And what I saw on that trip was something that was also the case on just about every foreign trip that the Vice President would make, was he spent as much time talking to the elected leadership of, in that case, Iraq, of our own leadership on the ground there, as he did to sort of rank and file service members who were there uh, also on the ground, asking them questions about what they were seeing. And that was exactly what Vice President-elect, actually, Joe Biden did in 2009 when President-elect Obama asked him to go to Afghanistan uh, on something of a fact-finding mission. And one of the things that Biden reported back to President-elect Obama about the mission there was that when he asked troops on the ground there in Afghanistan what they believed their mission was, he got different answers from just about everyone there. And that has really been at the core of what the vice president, now the president, has thought in terms of the U.S. strategy on Afghanistan. Once we got bin Laden, which was, of course, the initial reason we went into Afghanistan to try to dismantle al-Qaeda, Biden has repeated this now as president. He sees that our national interests require us to pull out of Afghanistan to focus more broadly on a threat of terrorism that has metastasized beyond Afghanistan, but also to focus our efforts on Russia, China, these larger, more uh, powerful authoritarian regimes. And that continues to be his belief up till this moment. I want to bring in MSNBC military analyst and retired four-star General Barry McCaffrey. So General McCaffrey, I want to get your sort of assessment of the current threat matrix here in Afghanistan. You heard President Biden say yesterday that U.S. forces and coalition troops, every day that they remain, they face a grave and growing threat. Well, look, you know, there's a legitimate debate about President Biden's decision to pull a plug on uh, forces after he assumed office. Uh, It was an elective choice. Right now, I am utterly appalled at so-called responsible people arguing with Biden's decision to leave by 31 August in accordance with apparently failed negotiations with the Taliban to extend it. One brigade on the ground, one runway surrounded by mountains, your air power is 1,200 miles away, and you're 7,000 miles from home. We do not want a shooting confrontation and withdrawal from Afghanistan. We're not going to get all the Americans out. We're not going to get all the sensitive Afghan uh, people that cooperated with us out. Uh, we're going to have to take other diplomatic means. But anyway, the bottom line is I'm looking at you know Congressman McCall and others thinking, what are you doing? Do you want a one brigade fight on a runway uh, in Kabul airport? This is nuts. Yes, that is nuts. Let's be clear here, folks. Uh, President Biden has never changed his stance on Afghanistan. When he worked under President Obama, he was the vice president and he did what President Obama wanted to do. He told us straight up, And we all agreed, the progressives inclusive, we want out of Afghanistan. And that's exactly what he did. Now, Donald Trump sort of set it up the wrong way. 
Uh, he modified it some, but we want it out of Afghanistan. The people that are complaining understand what's going on right now. This is the mission of the military-industrial complex trying to create some dissension so that no attempt is further made for us to get out of foreign outposts because this is going to be a hit on the money tree that goes to these parasites who use our service people as props to enrich a few. Don't ever forget that that is what's really happening here. The coverage of, of Afghanistan and, and the attacks that I hear about how poorly it has been set up and going has really gotten to me. You, when, when it comes to war, you can always do things better in hindsight, you, you know, people, people who've never been there, people who have been there and been failures themselves, or, you know, they, they are very opinionated on how best this should have done. I want you to listen to Lawrence O'Donnell because Lawrence O'Donnell hits the nail on the head and it makes a hell of a lot more sense to those paid, ad, paid generals who are there doing most of the criticizing, etc. Check this out. The latest guidance from the White House at this hour tonight is that a total of 53,000 people have been evacuated from Afghanistan. 48,000 of those people were evacuated after the president of Afghanistan evacuated himself and the country fell under the complete control of the Taliban. With 53,000 people already evacuated, the Biden administration and the American military continue tonight as they did last week to manage the most successful evacuation from a war that America lost. And the Washington Press Corps continues to portray that evacuation as a debacle. That is because most of them, if not all of them, were not old enough or not yet born the first time the United States lost a much bigger foreign war and fled that country while being shot at by the people the United States then called the enemy and who the United States now treats as one of its friends and trading partners in Asia. Our relations with Vietnam are so friendly tonight that it is the next stop on Vice President Kamala Harris's Asia trip. To call something a debacle suggests that there is a better way of doing it and we know how to do it better. If you are rowing a boat in a hurricane and it sinks, do we call that a debacle or do we call that inevitable? When you hear people calling the evacuation from Afghanistan a debacle, ask them compared to what? When has any country ever evacuated from a foreign war that they lost in a way that is better than what we are seeing now? The answer is never. This is the best version of an evacuation from a lost war that the world has ever seen. That doesn't make it good. That doesn't make it orderly. That doesn't make it safe for everyone involved. But it does mean that nothing else was realistically possible. In the White House press briefing room in 1975, the day after the last American helicopter left Vietnam, Republican President Ford's, Gerald Ford's press secretary, Ron Nesson, who he had inherited from the disgraced President Nixon, who was forced to resign the office, was asked what the president's reaction was to South Vietnam's surrender to North Vietnam, to which the White House press secretary said, quote, given the military situation, this did seem to be the inevitable result. 
No one in the White House press corps then asked why President Ford did not publicly say it was inevitable that the side we had been fighting for would surrender before they surrendered. Because the reporters were all adults then who understood that the president of the United States, even if he believed it, could not publicly predict the surrender of the weak government we had been fighting for. Everyone accepted that there would be no complete count of how many people got out of Vietnam at the end of a war we lost. No one in the White House press corps believed they were better at evacuation logistics than the American military. The American news media was not yet in the business of paying generals to come on TV and tell you that they are smarter than the current generals in command and, parenthetically, smarter than they themselves were when they were busy losing the Vietnam War or the war in Afghanistan. Was the evacuation from Vietnam a debacle? Well, you could call it that. But we all knew at the time every day of our military involvement in Vietnam was a debacle and a moral disgrace. That is what we need to key in on. And I wish more did. Reporting today sometimes uh, creates more problems than they actually instruct or inform on. And that is where we are today. Oh, everybody's singing the song about how badly Afghanistan is going, right? We should have been singing how badly Afghanistan was going for decades now because we have been wasting our treasures in Afghanistan, in lieu of rebuilding our own infrastructure, instead of putting our investments into the people here in America, we have been blowing monies to give to the different the contractors, many of whom these generals are in, enthralled with. These people, many who are criticized, they are very active in saying how badly things are going. How badly did they screw up? When they were there running things. How, why didn't they say this is not a, we knew this would never be a winnable war. Because one thing that we don't do is go into a country, understand their culture, and try to help them within their culture to be more of a system that supports them all. We don't do that. We go in there and try to create little Americas all over. Because little Americas mean that we go over there and we take control our, not we am, Americans, our plutocracy take control of every single country we go in there and work with. So folks, don't buy into the narrative. Let's remember what we're doing here. Let's get out of Afghanistan the best we can. Let's save as many people as we can. But let's come back home as well and save the many in America who nobody cares about, nobody cares about putting, putting that effort into why are we being so bad with these Afga Afghans? Why are we being so bad? We shouldn't be bad with Afghans, but we shouldn't be bad with Americans either. We shouldn't be bad to the downtrodden. Those folks, those military people that live 500,000 or however many are on the streets of LA that nobody cares about, all those millions in America right now that are in dire straits. I don't see the media going and say, why do we have people in the richest country of the world living like this? You see, we have the mouthpieces of the defense industrial complex, the military industrial complex talking. Why? Because they're just the mouthpiece for transferring our money 
to Afghanistan, Iraq, and all these other places, to a few, and we become the pawns to ensure that it continues to flow. Folks, let's wake up. Let's wake up. Let's together, we all, get things right. Those of us on the left, progressives and others, false narratives are dangerous. On January 6th, we had an insurrection. On January 6th, we had terrorists attack America. On January 6th, we had traitors, insurrectionists, people trying to attempt a coup on the United States of America, attack our capital, attempt to assassinate the vice president of the United States and many other leaders in Congress. That's what occurred on January 6th. But as you will see, the narrative and the the continued change in narrative on one side has been fairly successful. There's something to be learned. Let's go ahead and listen to this and then take it on the other side. Caught up the presses this hour. We've got some brand new numbers from our latest NBC News poll. This is focused on the aftermath of the January 6th attack. And these numbers show just how successfully Trump and his allies appear to have rewritten the narrative surrounding that awful day. 46% of adults say the attack on the Capitol has been exaggerated to discredit former President Trump and his supporters. 46%. Familiar number, isn't it? That includes 82% of self-identified Republicans and 43% of self-identified independents. Overall, 52% of Americans say that the events of January 6th were an act of terrorism. 47% say it was not. 5247, that's another familiar number, Biden over Trump. But look at the change since we asked the question in January. The gap has gotten much smaller. And yes, as I noted, that 5247 split almost exactly mirrors the popular vote between Biden and Trump last November. So there you go. That's what's happened on the right. Amid the battle over the January 6th narrative, the chairman of the House Select Committee on the attack, Benny Thompson, told reporters last night that his panel intends to obtain phone, text and social media communication from several hundred individuals, including members of Congress. And it does not rule out trying to get uh, associates of Mr. Trump or his family. Anyway, digest those results and realize the media ecosystems and what has happened on the right in particular. You get to see it in the vaccine hesitation, and now you see it on this. I call a lot of this political malpractice. While us little media people have been trying to really get the message out, that was a terrorist act when we continuously put it out there. Even some of our mainstream media have been attempting to say this was a terrorist act. This was an attempted coup. You know who has not been out there doing the job appropriately, even as they push infrastructure and other things? The politicians on the other side. They are supposed to be talking about this every single day. You know that that select committee that was put out there to investigate this, they should have a video, a narrative out every single day talking about every little thing that they discover, every little thing that's out there that we know, that we know. These guys attempted a coup that was treason and that we don't call it out continuously every day as they on their networks continue to talk about 
it wasn't an insurrection. It was just people who were trying to exert their rights. It were just pe- they, these were just people who were frustrated. These were just people who were being, uh, their de- you know, fighting for their democracy. No, they were fighting to, to create fascism. They were trying to overthrow the United States government. They were trying to uni- overthrow what the, was elected politically. They were trying to end democracy. Today we have special guest, Cedric A. Keeler. He's an educator, community, and marketing strategist who partners with CEOs, executives, and entrepreneurs to grow their personal and professional brands, human to human. After spending over a decade working in education and public speaking for a reputable brand, for, for actually reputable brands, and startups. Cedric is the author of You Are Powerful and the host of the show Conscious Mindsets on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston and his own internet domain. Cedric Keeler, also known as Ced. Welcome to Politics Done Right, my friend. Thank you. This is uh, the uh, epitome of excellence and uh, political discussion and debate, and it's an honor, a privilege, pleasure to be on the platform again. I hope all is well with you and your family in these very challenging and difficult times. All is well, and I, I trust the same is well with you as well, my friend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, we have a great conversation to get involved in, as you know, uh, and you talked about it at nauseum uh, so eloquently and articulately, uh, the changes and transformations that have happened in our society, courtesy of this uh, worldwide pandemic. And as we see the Delta variant and other uh, variants I've seen uh, just come out recently, ravage our society, cases in the hundreds of thousands, things we haven't seen since early February uh, at the beginning of the Biden administration. Uh, And then we've seen these things transpire all the while while we're getting ready and prepared to send our most precious resources, our children, uh, our K through 12, all the way to uh, our collegiate and university students, uh, we'll be uh, going through the hallowed halls of the education uh, with uh, uncertainty, maybe never before seen in the history of this country, at least going back to World War II. Uh, and we, we as educators, those of us who are on the front line uh, working with students are excited and, and definitely encouraged, uh, but there is some anxiety and some fear and some uncertainty. So I'm happy to talk about those things with you today. Well, look, I, I appreciate that. Let's, let's get started with that straight up. Right now, there are a lot of parents that are hesitant about sending their kids to school. We know that with the uh, with the package, the rescue package that was sent from the federal government, that a lot of monies should have gotten to the schools so that they could effect changes, changes in ventilation, changes in vaccination, changing in all these particular issues to really ensure that our kids, when they get back to school, they're in a is, in, they are in a safe, as safe a condition as they possibly could. As an educator, as a professor out there, are you seeing these dollars get into the places necessary so that parents will feel safe that their kids are in a good space? Well, at the beginning of, and that's a great question. I'll start off by saying that because I think it uh, talks about something that is extremely important, uh, especially for progressives to understand is this that uh, while uh, in March 2020, the CARES Act was implemented and some $30 billion in total uh, was given to uh, the educational systems here in this country, uh, K through 12 receiving about 
billion of that. And then, of course, higher education going somewhere in the area of 14 uh, billion and governors themselves of the states had at their discretionary disposal somewhere in the area of around $3 billion. Uh, the thing is, is that these states, they had full autonomy in many instances and degrees to be able to control how those resources were distributed and how they were dispersed uh, to local municipalities and school districts. And as you know, school districts uh, have a great impact upon not only uh, the educational dynamic uh, that exists in our society, uh, but also our property tax and the overall wealth and well-being in our society. Uh, because as you know, our system is set up based on property taxes. Right. Uh, so those local environments that are thriving and that uh, have uh, some uh, level of liquidity are able to have increased and advanced abundance of opportunities and resources at their schools, which consequently uh, increases the property uh, that's in those environments. So I say all of those things just to say that there's a corollary connection and it's uh, connected in a way in which we have to begin to analyze and understand. But to directly answer your question, we've seen as in the state of Texas, we've seen that those funds have been haggled and have been lagging. So as uh, the Secretary of Education just said in a briefing uh, just yesterday, we've given out the resources. We know that the CDC and other institutions have put forth uh, the proper PPE and the proper social distancing and the proper uh, understandings that we need to use and utilize on our particulars and in the uh, classrooms. But what has happened Courtesy, especially in uh, Republican states, is that, that these state governments and these governors are not only holding their discretionary funds, but they're also holding the funds uh, that were specifically designed to be held, to be autonomously dealt with by the school districts. And that, that has had an amazingly adverse effect upon uh, these institutions. Now, just in the state of Texas, to give you an example where we are, uh, we know that uh, the tier three funding or the ESSERT funding for tier three was recently released. And that has helped uh, schools be able to not only uh, increase the salaries of teachers, uh, but specifically putting in that PPE uh, that is essential to keeping our kids safe. Now, the issue with that is, is, is that uh, some of the other tiers of fundings have still yet to be given. And we're talking about $18 billion, Brother Willie. And I think that that is not only something that we as a constituents and citizenry should be alarmed and appalled by, uh, but specifically as educators, we need to uh, organize and bring more and greater attention to this because I'll close with this and I think it's important. I just brought up the CARES Act which was done in 2020. And some of those funds have yet to be fully uh, divested and dispersed uh, to uh, the particulars that are involved. But there was 82 billion. And then other billions that have been given since the Biden administration took over. And in states like Texas, states like Mississippi, uh, Southern states in particular, Republican Southern states, I might add, they're having an enormously difficult time in distributing and uh, disseminating those funds. Now, to be fair, some Democratic states have had some issues, California being one in particular, uh, but 
what we're seeing is there's not aspersions and there's not a sense of uh, of, of ostracization and uh, isolation amongst those democratic states to be able to divvy out those funds where we're seeing that in the Republican states. And many are believing that that is uh, politically driven. Now, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, because as an educator and now that school is starting, we have to be sure that uh, not only are these monies dispersed, but that, yes, not only our kids are safe or teachers are safe and that the kids themselves don't return back to society to start that ball rolling again of reinfections and that sort of stuff. Because, again, the truth of the matter is if you're teaching at a school with 3000 students and these 3000 students don't have masks as, as, as Texas is not uh, saying they need right now, we are talking about creating a morass of, uh, of, of virus, a circular link of viruses uh, going around there. Now, what I understand that the, I think you're with HISD. If I, if I, uh, and if I recall the, the superintendent of HISD intends to defy the governor and force masking in your schools. Am I correct? Yes, um, that has been uh, the directive that uh, he has, uh, has, has expressed and said in pre- uh, press conferences as well, uh, that based on the data, based on what uh, health and uh, safety uh, professionals and experts and officials have said, that it would be in the best interest of not only HISD, which is the largest school district in Texas, uh, and the seventh largest, if I'm not mistaken, in the country. Uh, due to the large uh, and dense population that we serve, and many of them being some of uh, the most adverse condition and economically disadvantaged, which by and large have so many formidables and pre-existing conditions which make them more susceptible, not only to COVID-19, but also uh, to fatalities uh, with COVID-19 in the best interest of the constituents and the citizenry, as well as the students in particular, uh, courtesy of the Delta variant, we know uh, that now it's not only in younger people, but younger people are seeing more adverse conditions and uh, even death. Uh, So we need to protect our young people. Uh, So uh, Millard uh, House is uh, the uh, superintendent of HISD. He has decided uh, to uh, forego uh, some of uh, the mandates and some of the, the, the ill-advised um, expressions that our governor has made. Uh, many people are saying that it will be in litigation. Many people are saying that even potential funding that we just talked about uh, could be withheld uh, from the school district uh, by the state governor. That could be one of uh, the possible consequences of he and others deciding to keep the, man ma- the, the mask mandate in play and in place. And I think it's important that I say this, uh, we know that in HISD, 42% of the students uh, throughout the duration of the year, talking about 2021, uh, were remote learning. And 93% of the country uh, went through remote learning. And one of those reasons as to why that occurred was to stop spread. But HISD, like numerous other Uh, school districts in and around this country, and specifically Texas, because Greg Abbott has said that funding would not only be restricted, it could be totally withheld if you did not go in turn or to have some in-person functionality upon your campus. Uh, So based on that, we know and understand that 100% of students could potentially be in these buildings. And you mentioned the high school having 3,000 students. Just imagine 
just imagine with Texas being number 36 in uh, terms of vaccinations ranking uh, some and some have said that uh, only 44 percent of Texans have had at least one dose of vaccination. Uh, and I apologize because of the emotion, but how serious this is, I think it recalls and it needs of us to remember what we experienced in 2020 when we saw so many uh, cases and we saw so much death. And just imagine having all of those students in that environment, many not being vaccinated, as I said, and many uh, being exposed to, unfortunately, the Delta variant. So I don't want to uh, put forth a dystopic view uh, but what the uh, superintendent and I believe many other superintendents should and will do is to lean on the side of caution and listen to our healthcare officials and professionals who are saying that we do need to not only have masks in place, uh, but we also need to uh, look at remote learning and other things uh, to protect uh, our most precious resource. And that's our children. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting in the military, every general or every every soldier they are supposed to follow the the followed instruction of their their leader. They are subordinate to their leaders. However, there's an exception if that order that's given is unlawful. I think when it comes to a governor's relationship with uh, with a superintendent or whatever, he is ultimately responsible for the life of the students. And if the government gives an edict that ultimately will get some of the people who depend on him killed, I would consider that an unlawful order. And I hope that is sort of the rationale that they'll use in, in court to defend it. I will not be a part of killing those that I'm responsible for. Your thoughts on that? I think that uh, this is one of the most important questions of not only our generation, uh, but uh, could potentially have greater effects upon uh, the continuation of our nation. And I don't want to be hyperbolic, but what we are facing right now is of epic proportion. Uh, we know that the Delta variant is more aggressive. It's more contagious. And we have seen a lag in vaccinations, even though over the course of uh, this particular week, we saw some days having uh, over 800,000. And even in Texas, we saw an uptick of vaccinations. But that's still not going to stop uh, the promulgation of this virus. Uh, mitigation things are going to have to be put in plan in place. And I just want to let your listeners and audience know this is, is that the TEA has said uh, that if cases incur in school districts, then schools do not have to notify parents that there has been an outbreak, that there has been a spread. Uh, so TEA is taking measures uh, that many are scratching their heads, not only in the health and safety profession and industry, but also very educators and just simpletons are saying, what in the world is going on? Uh, this doesn't make sense. Uh, this uh, spits in the uh, face of caution uh, because of how dangerous and derelict uh, some of the edicts are coming from TEA. And many believe that this is uh, through the coordination of Gover Governor uh, Greg Abbott. And there are other states uh, that are putting forth this same kind of ill-advised policy of not identifying through contact tracing uh, where the virus has been, who has been contacted uh, with the virus, and potentially notifying others of these occurrences. 
and making that mandated, stipulated, and accounted for through data and data that is concise and precise. But no, we're just going to allow you know this whole moniker, a euphemism uh, for uh, irresponsibility by saying personal freedoms. No, we should all have uh, the information, which hopefully will make us more free and more capable to make a choice that will be in the best will and goodwill of all. So what we're saying in simple terms, and I've talked to numerous instructors, I've even talked to uh, uh, some of the federations off record, and they're saying uh, that they're extremely worried and concerned about all of these things that are occurring because unfortunately, and this is the reason why your platform is so important and other independent media platforms are so important is because there's not been enough discussion about these policies. And these policies have real life implications. Uh, I know you brother have a, a daughter who uh, has been in collegiate environments. And just imagine if someone came in there and had the virus, God forbid, there was a spread, people got sick, they got exposed to it, and TEA, just imagine the sanctioning body of the university said, no, you don't have to tell anyone this happens. If that student does want to stay out of school 10 days, they can use those 10 days to remote learn. We need real clear cut guidelines and we need a chain of command and also a response from the citizenry that lets our elected officials know that we are not going to be guinea pigs, nor are we going to be let out to slaughter uh, based on someone trying to fit into the narrative of a former and disgraced president. Uh, and we need to stand up as a citizenry, as instructors, and as just human beings to protect other human beings' lives, uh, because this is very serious. And however people feel about vaccination, non-vaccination, what we must begin to do is to protect ourselves and to do that. And the data supports this, uh, Brother Willie's, uh, that uh, contact tracing works, that mask wearing works, and that when we work together to provide not only the PPE, not only the funding, uh, but we also incorporate numerous technologies like remote learning and also other interventions that must be done because of the uh, gaps that students have incurred. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to talk about some of that as well, because it's critically important that we don't just allow bad policy to get away with creating bad predicaments that ultimately in the future, we are all going to have to face the negative consequences due to our inactivity, due to our uh, inability to participate and engage an important dialogue and hopefully in creating important policy that must be made. So I'll say this and uh, definitely close up for you to interject. Uh, it's extremely important for those out there to understand uh, that there is funding and that funding is there to ensure that not only is the PPE there, but that it is being used and utilized effectively along with the increased educational opportunities that must be provided based on the gaps and based on enduring 17 months of a pandemic, we must begin uh, to not only ensure that those funds and those resources are given to the proper and appropriate entities, but we also must make sure uh, that there are measures in play and in place 
to address the gross inequalities in other areas. Why do I say that? Because the state of Texas seeing this coronavirus splurge and expansion is in direct correlation to their unwillingness to expand Medicaid and Medicare. And I think it's extremely important that we connect the dots and say that so people understand that this is not just a happenstance, but this is a dereliction of duties and it's an inability to protect our citizens. It is important that you brought that up. It's very important because you brought up two new issues here that I think is very important. One is that, yes, the, 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 with the governor's dereliction of duty by not looking out for the welfare of the students, et cetera, that is, that, that is extremely, that's horrendous. But that dereliction of duty is going to further hurt the people that those who would get infected in school take home. And then at the same time, we refuse to accept the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act that would actually help those who are infected or got infected due to the dereliction of the person who is also denying them health care. It's amazing. It's almost like the person is putting a death wish on a particular segment of society. Wow. And you say that, and, and I think that the data... Uh, not only speaks to that, because even during the pandemic, just when we look at something as simple as what you and I and pretty much most of the the listeners who are viewing this using uh, broadband, uh, we found that in black and brown communities specifically, one in seven in some areas in this particular state, and and I'm talking about this state because it could be a uh, representative of other Republicans primarily that lack the ability to spread funds that they were given by the federal government. These funds were put in place for infrastructure, and we're having an infrastructure debate right now in our hallowed halls of Congress, and many of our Republican Patriots are not understanding the responsibility that they have to ensure that that broadband exists because one in seven and in some areas, three in five black and brown people said they did not have broadband. They did not have access to Internet. They did not have the ability to give their children equipment that was vital to use and utilize the technology of the 21st century learner. And because of that, We have seen, and this is based on statistical data provided by TEA. They've said this year in particular, 22% of Texan students, of students in Texas are at least two grades behind. Normally, historically, that's only been about 4% every year. So just in that one statistic alone, we've seen an exacerbation of the gap. We've seen academic inefficiency, and it's predicated and primarily based on the deficiency of leadership. That's why this midterm election, that's why regardless of how people feel about it, we must understand why quorum had to be broken, because these restrictive laws not only not only limit people's ability to express their rights, but it also tailors and it also curates a sense of disenfranchisement, which indelibly and unfortunately bleeds into the policy. And these policies 
create these predicaments, which unfortunately adversely affect those most vulnerable communities. So that's why I'm so happy to be having this conversation about this information, because just last March, $168 billion was provided by the American Rescue Plan. That's enough money to handle the situations in which we're talking and facing and faced with if we had the kinds of uh, leadership, I'll just say it that way, that would put aside the colors of faces and the critical theories of race and start doing what's important uh, for the constituents uh, in this wonderful land and place we call America. You know, uh, Cedric, one of the things, the the other things that I have to say is that I think, first of all, none of this is by design. Or rather, I'm sorry, all of this is by design. That's their intent, okay? And I think, uh, what I mean, you get an educated populace, an educated populace is dangerous for republicanism because republicanism is not for the populace in general. So the, the best that you could, what you have to offer is make sure they remain uneducated. Now, that said, uh, one of the important things that we have to do, and you, you brought up the election of 2022, is we have to articulate this not only on, on, on the mainstream media, on programs like mine, on independent media, but we have to be out there with programs like you have with the conscious mindset and, and the other uh, places that you hang out and always keep this at the forefront. Now, we're at the end of our time. So what I want to ask you is what I always ask you. Give me a, a, a commentary for our audience that we should have talked about, but that we didn't necessarily get to. Absolutely. And, and thank you, uh, brother. You are a phenomenal phenomenality of magnificent magnificence. And I think that this is the commentary that we need to talk about is supporting independent media entities. Because unfortunately, the mainstream entities are talking about he said, she said, who's fighting with this, doing this kind of novelty carnival-like reporting when we need to be discussing the things that are most apropos and important. For example, the uh, pharmaceutical industries were given billions, if not trillions of dollars of taxpayer money to create an entity that would hopefully begin to rectify a situation that has exacerbated through a worldwide pandemic and epidemic. And they used these resources. They were given tax abatements and anything you could imagine to support their efforts. And now they won't relinquish the patents so that other countries can begin to have vaccines. COVAX said that they were going to reach 190 countries. They've only done 138. And I'm not disparaging 138, but I'm saying that they need to be doing more. And we need to be doing more to help them. Only 15% of the undeveloped world is vaccinated. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because these variants will continue to proliferate in and around the world, affecting the United States. We can no longer have the tribalism and the nativism of the Trump administration. And we have to begin to look at this with a global lens. As we understand, we are global individuals. That's what we tell our kids to be global learners. And we must become aware and capable of the importance of how we need to get an understanding of things. And that comes courtesy of information. And there's a reason why I bring it up specifically 
is because these patents, they are now beginning to use and utilize for profit. They are selling to developed countries the dosage for $25 to $42. And, and this is taxpayer-driven money. And I think it's important to bring this up is because our politicians need to begin to put forth the legislation and the policy that can begin to make this something of a public trust rather than a private exploitation, which continues on uh, the oligarchic structures of mayhem and madness. Now, I'll close with this because I think it's important. And I think you've talked about that, Matthew. We must talk about how the banks, the banks have used and utilized people and exploited people in a way in which never imagined. And that is insane to say when you think about how much dereliction and foolishness banks have done. The reason why I bring this up is it's somewhere in the area of $12.4 billion to $32 billion on overdraft, overdraft and overcharges during a pandemic, my brother. During a pandemic, and it primarily affected Black and brown vulnerable communities. And Elizabeth Warren may be uh, someone that you have an affinity for. If you probably don't even know, I know you probably know her. But the thing is, she asked a question. She said, you were given by federal regulators the opportunity and the ability to not be charged overdrafts for your loans, talking about the banks particularly. And they were given other incentives to create business and to seek out and obtain a profit. Did you give them, talking about your clients, did you give them the consideration that the federal regulators told you to give, which is to not charge them? Jamie Dixon, uh, CEO of Chase, said, no, we did not. We will not. And that is something that we need to begin to focus on so that we can understand how to address these issues, take those funds, and then uh, divert them into education into uh, mandating that we get the kinds of PACs, the kinds of lobbyists that will begin to put forth pressure on politicians not to put in uh, bills that are going to restrict educational funds. I'll say this because I think it's important. There is a House bill, House Bill 15 uh, in the state of Texas that is going to force some of these local municipalities and school districts to not use all the funds uh, for three to four years. They're going to be stipulated. So when people go to the ballot box in midterms or they go in 2024, they're going to say, the Biden administration didn't do anything. Those so-called progressive Democrats didn't do anything when it was the ploys and the machinations of Republican strategists and politicians and derelicts that totally uh, created a false narrative which will lead to them coming back in power and totally putting in the oligarchic structures that we are disdaining from. And that's why we are here. And that's why we tell the story. And that, that last comment there is important for people to know. Our own government is trying to hold back monies to give the impl implication that uh, the progressivism is not working. Cedric A. Keeler, author of You Are Powerful and the host of the show, Conscious Mindset. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. My pleasure. Once again, remember, you can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter. 
My handle is at egbertowillies.com. That is at egbertowillies, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Again, please remember to keep your community radio station on your minds, KPFT on your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends to tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen at kpft.org. Keep us on air by donating at kpft.org or call 713-526-5738. Once more, as I see it, get one of the books or all two of the books or all three of the books. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. A pledge of $120. Get any two books for $200. Any three books for $250. Folks, please support us. Please ensure that you have this independent source of information. I hope you enjoyed the program today. I make sure to bring you something new every single week that is pertinent, that is fresh, and that it ensures that by the time we're done, we are empowered. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics the Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage.